I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Alex McLaren. I'm an actor and I've worked as a communications coach since 2002. Now so much business is being conducted remotely, the ways in which we talk, present, build relationships and connect is changing. In this podcast, I want to explore all those issues and prove to you that no matter who you are, you can talk to anyone. Hello and welcome to You Can Talk to Anyone, the podcast where we open the bonnet on our communications engine. I'm Alex McLaren. I'm Tom Selinski. Uh, and we are recording remotely. Uh, I'm in Kent, Tom's in London. And this week, because it's extremely topical and interesting, is the subject of freedom of speech, um, which I have found sometimes can slightly inhibit me when it comes up as a question <laughs> because it's just so spicy. Um, and I'm so I'm I'm just going to make the assumption that it also has a kind of a, it's it, it rings little alarm bells in other people as well and can sometimes make getting to know other people, communicating with other people, chatting to other people, slightly more challenging and difficult. So uh, <laughs> this week we've had two um, events, in the which are, some of which will be in the global press and some which is only in the UK press. So uh, for, for foreign listeners will, will have picked up on the fact that Salman Rushdie, the author whose um, novel, The Satanic Verses, has been the subject of an Iranian fatwa for quite a lot of our, well, all our adult life, I think, Tom. And mm. uh, I think it happened yeah, yeah. When, when I was a kid. Um, and uh, and has, has had its own, uh, it has been a, obviously a, a cause celebre um, through that question ever since, um, was attacked and nearly killed in New York. Um, and uh, and uh, he's, uh, hopefully is recovering well um, at the moment. Um, so it's, that's literally just happened. And then two days ago, um, the Edinburgh Festival, which is, uh, for again, for listeners abroad, is the uh, the fringe festival of entertainment, theatre, performance and, and stand-up comedy in Edinburgh is happening. And Jerry Sadowitz, who is a famously offensive comic and close-up magic artist, did his first show at the Pleasance Theatre and was so offensive that they've closed him down and, uh, and he is now delivering his second show. So um, whenever these uh, questions come up about, uh, uh, about what is and what isn't acceptable to say, I find myself feeling anxious because I, everybody has very different positions on this and the things that might offend me might not offend my counterpart in that conversation. 
Um, that, that's where it starts. Yeah. Um, and, and also we end up talking often about, I, I find it difficult to pin down precisely what it is that we are talking about because it becomes quite abstract quite quickly as well. And I find those conversations quite difficult personally to negotiate. Um, I'm maybe the only person who's like that, but I, I do find that the conversations become less fun, less connected and uh, less enjoyable. But it feels like an important political yeah. question to consider. I think one of the first things to note is uh, what the term freedom of speech actually means. Uh, and it has a slightly different connotation in America than it does in other parts of the English-speaking world, because America has this written constitution, which they are so terribly fond of. Uh, but you will see on various social media platforms, uh, people, usually from America, wailing and bemoaning the fact that their right to freedom of speech has been infringed because a comment of theirs has been deleted or because they've been banned outright from the platform. Uh, mm. This is not what freedom of speech means. Uh, freedom mm. of speech means that the government does not prevent you from saying things. It has nothing whatever to do with what private companies decide to do. Uh, when you are using Twitter you are essentially a guest in Twitter's home and Twitter mm. can make whatever rule it sees fit about what you can and can't say. Uh, and in so doing, and it does not infringe your freedom of speech in any way whatsoever. Yeah, it, and there's also, I think there's historically as well, it has the, I mean, particularly in the US Constitution, a lot of it is also to do with publication and to do with actually not just speaking, but writing things down, yeah. <laughs> then printing them out for other people to read um, and disseminating them. And they sort of sit there permanently for people to go through and uh, and read. And that isn't necessarily what happens between private citizens when they're having a conversation. Um, what happened with Salman Rushdie in the... Uh, back in the 80s, was that a state attempted to prevent him from publishing. Uh, and so that very much is a question of freedom of speech, particularly because it was backed up with death threats. Uh, and as we've seen, uh, I don't know the, the ins and outs, the details of that case, but uh, it does seem as if uh, those death threats turn out not to be empty, even, what is it now, 40 years or so uh, after the fatwa was first issued. <laughs> There have been deaths associated with that that case, and that yeah. not thankfully Rushdie's. But um, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, utterly horrendous. The, the that, uh, but I think what it does is that because of the sort of the political dimension of what who does and doesn't say what you are or aren't allowed to say that that is then becomes a kind of uh, it sort of it, it it steps things up. It becomes a provocation, and then people want to sort of test what those boundaries are. Yeah, and there is a there is a value certainly in uh, comedians, you know, the the court jesters having the role of those who test where that boundary is. But again, uh, I think a lot of comedians who are active today grew up on people who genuinely were testing those boundaries in America. People like Lenny Bruce, uh, yes. who was arrested for talking about oral sex on stage, uh, and uh, even in this country, uh, people like Monty Python. There's a Monty Python sketch about a funeral uh, in which Graham Chapman suggests uh, eating John Cleese's mother, uh, which was <laughs> deemed so offensive that the only way in which it could be shot and broadcast was if they also filmed the live studio audience walking out in disgust. Then it would be okay. Yeah. Because look, we've we've shown both sides of this. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's so funny. No, it's, it's also important, I think, that the that I think there is sometimes here, and I've noticed this in conversations I've had, a generational dimension in which people of say John Cleese's 
generation will be incredibly vigorous and passionate about it because certainly when they were children as performers or writers working in theatre there was actually an official British censor the yeah. Lord Chamberlain's office um, and uh, whereby you would have to submit a piece of writing for public performance to uh, a, a government functionary in the, in the UK who would read it and tell you what you whether or not you could perform it and they would they would suggest edits like like literally somebody with nothing to do with the creative team would basically say this is and isn't allowed um th- there were court cases about it it wasn't like I, I don't know I know Tom in your in your film podcast you've dealt with the Hayes code a little yeah. bit and I don't know that that was a that wasn't I suppose that was a, a sort of a uh, in Hollywood, uh, the Hayes Code was a sort of a, a, just a set of rules that we work within, rather than any kind of legal um, restriction on what people could and couldn't show in movies. It had a similar force. It was self-regulation. The film industry back in the 30s elected to regulate itself to prevent the government from sweeping in and doing it, but it had the same effect. Uh, mm. If you didn't get a seal from the Motion Picture Association of America, then uh, most cinemas would not show your film. So it had the same mm. effect. What's curious, this is just one of those kind of uh, weird quirks of history, is that uh, in Britain, the theatre was heavily censored, but certainly compared to America, the film industry wasn't. Uh, And so some films from the UK had a reputation in America as being a bit spicy. Uh, Whereas in America, the uh, theatre industry, Broadway, really wasn't subject to any kind of equivalent of the Hayes Code. So there were plenty of things that were happening on Broadway which could not be got away with in cinema. In, One thinks in, of uh, uh, some of the yeah. uh, films uh, of um, Paul Newman and James Dean, for example, which were heavily boulderized compared to their uh, Broadway incarnations. Yeah, there was. I mean, there was also in Broadway form as well. There were often plays that which wanted to be mounted in London. The most famous one I can think of straight away is A View from the Bridge, yeah, by Arthur Miller. Which, when they wanted to put that on in London, the only way they could do it was well. The, the, there is a moment in the film when one of the characters kisses another. It's a male male on male kiss, mm. which was considered. I think all homosexuality was banned from kind of any sort of representation on the on the British stage, and so they could put it on by holding a private club performance. This was this weird yep. way they got around the censorship element of it. They'd open a secret cl- a private club and they'd, you'd join the club by paying basically the price of a theatre ticket in order to watch it. But again, this was absurd. And so uh, although it was uh, a way of getting your performance on, it was uh, it, the principle was still enshrined in British law and getting around that was really important. Things you Just those boundaries, I think, there's the, this sense that the... That, that the things you can't say are really interesting, where that line is, is mm. a really interesting place. And I think this is one reason why this is relevant just for sort of private conversation and kind of what the chats we have at parties. Um, if there is, if, if we aren't going there, sometimes it feels like the conversation becomes boring. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like when you're getting to know people, you kind of think, I don't know where these people's boundaries are. <laughs> and finding them out is an important part of working out how we connect with each other. I found myself yesterday at a lunch party with some friends, and uh, when, as you do, the sort of the the, the water cooler issues come up, uh, we we found ourselves talking about this. Um, and I think, in general, two couples, both sort of roughly woolly liberals, <laughs> um, but but the conversation was really difficult to talk about until we started talking about specific examples and our own actual experiences. 
Because that's the point at which we begin to, I think, really understand not just what someone's position is or what someone's tendency is, even if it isn't a fully thought out set of paragraphs on a question about what is and isn't acceptable to talk about in social circumstances. But and uh, and I think that's one of the problems with this issue about free speech is we, we need to talk about um, where our boundaries are and why. I think that's one of the interesting questions about uh, the Jerry Sadowitz case. Um, uh, now, this is important. Yeah, I don't know the details. Okay, so do uh, you? Uh, I, well, uh, I wasn't there. Uh, this is it. Uh, the uh, that's, the this details is have emerged surround uh, two two <laughs> or three key things. Uh, a joke in which he used a racial slur to describe Rishi Sunak. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, this is more detail of, than I've had so far. Oh, uh, um, uh, and uh, an incident of um, uh, indecent exposure. Yeah. So I think one of the things, I, so first of all, I think it's important to say that uh, while the Salman Rushdie and Jerry Sadowitz cases bring up related issues. I think it would be mm. a mistake to conflate the two. Uh, one, is a, one is a novelist uh, who suffered a an attack which could have been fatal. Um, the other is a, a comedian who, whose tour continues uh, uninterrupted, apart from this yes, one so show, and, and will and will thrive. Yes, no doubt, uh, pro probably. Yes, the, uh, we'll sell more tickets as a result of this. Uh, yeah. I think the a venue like the Pleasant, who was hosting Sadowitz, has, uh, in the same way that Twitter has, a complete right uh, to program yeah, or not to program anyone it sees fit uh, and can withdraw that at any moment. Uh, that said, I think they have handled this rather badly. Uh, and I think uh, uh, they they should have been more aware than evidently they were of the kind of material that Sadowitz was likely to perform. He's such an interesting guy. Uh, he is clearly enormously talented, both as a comedian and as a card magician, which is an odd conflation <laughs> Uh, indeed. But um, he also has a self-destructive streak uh, mm. and uh, seems incapable of managing his career. I had a, uh, a couple of years in which I was very interested in close-up magic, uh, and there was a magic shop in Clerkenwell where Jerry Sadowitz used to work for two or three days a week, not out of a sheer love of the art, though that was part of it. It's that he couldn't afford not to. Mm. Okay, that's where he was. He had a booking, yeah. and he had his, to go. His and do career it. was was such in the doldrums, and I think it's perked up a bit since then. This is going back at least fifteen or so years, uh, and you know, compared to a lot of people at the fringe, this, he was playing in a big venue. He was, uh, you know, mm. a, a well-established big name act, sort of swanning in for two nights, uh, mm. as opposed to some scrappy young comedian trying to make a name yeah, for himself, trying to make it, doing a run. Yeah. That that self-destructive element interests me because I kind of think the uh, so a lot of the arguments have been well caveat emptor you know if you if you go and if you book Jerry Sadowitz you know what you're booking if you buy a ticket for a Jerry Sadowitz show you know what you're buying a ticket for something which is going to be he's going to attempt to upset you <laughs> I mean and um, now that isn't necessarily entirely true and it doesn't necessarily mean that absolutely anything therefore will go um, when you're performing when you're when you're when you're doing a, a when you're speaking to a crowd of people. Um, it, it strikes me, actually, because um, uh, the name Jim Davidson's come up a few times, as is Roy Shelley mm. Brown. Uh, and uh, there are a lot of comedians who would back Sadowitz who would not back Jim Davidson. And it's sometimes mm. hard to see what the difference is. But actually, something you said then just kind of helped me crystallise something, which is when Jim Davidson 
uses a racial slur. He expects, or certainly expected, everyone in his audience to laugh along. Mm. Oh yeah, that's the language we use too. Whereas whether it's advisable or not, whether it's acceptable or not, when Jerry Sadowitz uses a racial slur, I think he expects people to be shocked and offended. Uh, And so that does put a different spin on it. But we are in, I think, murky waters here when we say this white guy can use this racial slur. That's absolutely fine. Knock yourself out, fill your boots. Because that's fine. (laughs) This white guy, when he uses the same racial slur, uh, absolutely not. uh, uh, We're all uh, clutching our pearls and and calling for the tarring and feathering to begin. It's it's not an, an entirely indefensible position, but it's pretty, pretty flimsy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I mean, I was thinking a little bit about shock value entertainers and i i can i and i do know there are people who have an appetite for it that there's almost like like someone stands up there and says right you cozy bastards <laughs> i'm going to say the things that you hate um and i'm going to test you um and uh and i've 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 occasionally come across performances like that. Um, and so there is, you can theoretically say that this person is not actually trying to say anything about the, 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 the world of the language they're using. They're simply talking about this relationship between the performer and the audience and control and power and what I'm allowed and not allowed to say. And I, my theory is that that is the, the reasoning of some comics who end up in that world. And I imagine that's part of what's going on for, for Sadowitz. But as you say, the, the fact is that, um, that it is, it is just it, it differently upsets different people. Yeah. Um, and uh, one wonders who is going to those kind of performances, you know, and uh, what keeps that, that, that appetite going. The sort of the taboo dimension of it, I think it actually is an important part of comedy, but I, I was wondering why I don't go and see performers like that, like Sadowitz, because I'm interested in the questions of what is and what isn't acceptable and where the boundaries are. But I think it's actually more to do with the fact that I don't really go and see much stand-up because there is something in the power dynamic of a stand-up on stage and an audience, almost like the fight between them, which I've never found particularly enjoyable or comfortable as an audience member. Um, and so this feels almost like this is a sort of a further extension of that. This is kind of pushing that that battle 
um, uh, further and further into uh, kind of into an extreme situation. So for me, it's almost built into what happens with stand-ups and audiences that I, I wouldn't go along expecting to kind of have a, a comfortable night out anyway, no. regardless of how comfortable the former was. But then there's the indecent exposure aspect. Yeah. Uh, and again, it, what's funny about this is that uh, it was a landmark play, The Romans in Britain, which mm-hmm. in the 1960s heralded yes. the end of the Chamberlain's Chamberlain. ability to yeah. uh, censor theatre in Britain. Uh, and that included uh, an incidence of male nudity. Yeah, yeah, Willie's on stage. Well, it was a male rape. There was one of the uh, one of the Romans raping one of the Britons. Um, the, uh, the, I, I think that I was thinking about this. When you and I were first in Edinburgh, Tom, you may remember that the star show that summer was something called Puppetry of the Penis. <laughs> yes. <laughs> kind of, really? What's that about? Well, <laughs> um, and uh, it was a huge hit. I mean, uh, I, and I didn't go. Did you go? No. I mean, because I, I, mean, I was just thinking, well, I mean, the joke is already, you don't need to go to the show almost yeah. to understand, you know, what kind of silliness is going on. I mean, how long? How long we were talking about this yesterday, thinking how long would the show be? You know, standing innovation, <laughs> all the jokes were there. <laughs> I mean, anyway. So, 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 no, the point is we're not giggling when we talk about Jerry Sadowitz is getting his knob out on stage. But when we talk about property of the penis, there's something about the framing of that which means that we can get giddy and silly about it. Because it feels almost like little children running around the dinner party um, with, with, you know, with no clothes on while the parents are trying to have a proper supper. Um, you know, there has been a, a lot of agitation about the prospect of uh, an unheralded penis suddenly floating into your field of vision, whether that is uh, in a dressing room with Louis C.K., uh, whether it's in uh, a bathroom uh, being used by somebody who's trans. Uh, yes. yes. Uh, or whether it's during a Jerry Sadowitz comedy show. Uh, and again, it's it's interesting to, to ask what are the things that these situations have in common or what are the ways in which they're clearly different? And it's it's fuzzy. It's all very fuzzy. I don't know. Why is it that when the kids run in with no clothes on at the dinner party, I just I just giggle? <laughs> well, first of all, they're children. Yeah, it's there's an innocence when children do it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Jerry Sadowitz um, is the, sixty. He's not. <laughs> no, he's not innocent in any way. No, the um, the what, in fact, one of the funniest. Uh, uh, there's one scene in like boundary pushing comedy, and this is a film. And by the way, incidentally, I I don't I I often do enjoy comedy when I'm watching the stand up special. Mm. Do you see what I mean? There's something about I'm not actually in the room and kind of witnessing it. I like a bit of distance from it. I don't want to be part of the fight. Um, but um, but I do I remember um, and again not everybody would love it I don't know whether I'd love it as much now as when I first saw it when I watched uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's film Borat yes which has an extended scene of an extended scene which is incredibly funny it's well I mean I remember watching that there's not a lot of dialogue in it it's very hard to say quite precisely what it's about in which they run naked around a hotel um, in which there's some some political conference going on downstairs fighting each other and I remember laughing like I laughed when I was almost like a, a baby laughs. There's something about the sort of the purity of silliness about that and the fact that it's happening. You're making your own rules in a world which has other rules. And I think that there's an appeal about that sort of pure bliss laughter that I think 
comedians who are pushing boundaries are trying to get to and trying to explore. There's a, a sort of a kind of perfection about it, which is out with the rules of uh, social discourse, um, or at least not easy to pin down using language. But what I would say is if um, all you want to do is push boundaries, then nothing could be easier. Uh, and it's hard for me to summon up a great deal of fight to defend somebody uh, who is simply saying the unsayable because they think mm. that is uh, cruel or interesting. Uh, nothing could be duller, uh, to my way of thinking. The, the problem that a comedian of a previous generation had uh, is that there were things that uh, they wanted to talk about which mm. they couldn't even address they without could. being incredibly coy. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. when George Carlin does his famous routine about the words you can't say on television, he genuinely mm. is busting a taboo that served no useful purpose. But to pretend yeah. now that those taboos have not already been busted by a previous generation of comedians, I think is is futile. And so well, it's... it's, it's uh, I, I don't really understand why... Uh, this is the creative hill that Jerry Sadowitz wants to die on. His right to use racial slurs to describe Richie Sunak. I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah. And, well, okay. I'm going to see if I can. Uh, I'm purely on a devil's advocate basis. I haven't. Don't want to. I don't particularly want to see any kind of show in which that kind of. It's not going to be fun. And I'd also feel incredibly uncomfortable about the fact that, to my right and left, I might have brought friends who uh, have actually been have, have been on the receiving end of that kind of racial slur and uh, and it's it, it'll be differently hurtful for them but i guess the the argument is what are the things that you tell me i can't say um and that's that thing is where he's coming from the um i was thinking about the sort of this element of taboo and the, and the taboos that are busted i was uh, i was recently watching a brilliant show called uh, better things in which uh, the star Pamela Adlon, who in fact has a connection with Louis C.K., yeah. has already come up in this conversation. Um, she's talking about uh, dimensions of her experience which still feel a little bit like they aren't easy to talk about, like her menopause. Mm. Um, that there are there are there are things about bodies, and particularly about bodies and gender, which still which aren't sort of easy, comfortable topics of conversation. Partly to do with generational things, and uh, and I think that there is a generation of uh, women who are now talking about menopause in a way that even 10 years ago, certainly 20 years ago, never would have done. So th there are still those kind of social taboos, which um, uh, which are connected, I think, to political situations, which feels like, oh, wow, we are, this is beginning to be slightly broken. And that, I think, is something which will connect to the kind of chats that people can and can't have, that women together will find it possibly easier to talk about those things than they would in mixed company. But now... Actually, men are beginning to learn about it in a way that uh, they that our fathers didn't, yeah, um, and, and and are able to talk about it um, in a way that they didn't as well. Um, so that there is still that those those lines about where the taboo is uh, are always being pushed a little bit further back, um, and I don't think they're entirely disconnected from free speech. In many ways, the most interesting question for me is what should the pleasants have done. Uh, this is the venue that booked Jerry Sadowitz for these two shows uh, who pulled the second show. Uh, so what would you do, Alex, if a, an edgy comedian who you booked turned out to be the source of complaints from customers that uh, his material was beyond the pale, even given his edgy reputation? Do you uh, back your act 
uh, and tell your paying customers, uh, no, you're wrong, uh, have, have a refund and, and, uh, and kindly go quietly into the night? Uh, or uh, do you take the kind of action that the Pleasants took or a third thing I haven't considered? Yeah, well, I think there would have to be a third thing. I think the public statement that they made seemed to be rather garbled and confused. That they literally took two opposite positions in uh, in, in consecutive paragraphs. Um, yes, uh, I, we, well, <laughs> while we would never support uh, banning anybody, uh, we have yeah, decided yeah, to ban Gary Sadowitz, yeah. who definitely does not deserve the ban which we are imposing upon him. Yeah, I suppose if I was going to, to to shut it down, I would want to make it absolutely personal. I'd, I'd like to say I am not happy about this. I'd like I'd like a human to be connected to it and make it and and, and rather than try and be saying anything um, kind of principled about it, do you know what I mean? Like, like like making any kind of abstract statement about what is and isn't acceptable seems to me to be just absolutely crazy. You know, the, the, because it's this is really really complicated. I wasn't there. I mean, was was the person who made the decision? Did they witness it all? You know, did they feel that they couldn't bring the lights down on the scene and uh, and, and say no, sorry, show's over, folks? Uh, or was this all based on uh, kind of responses to audiences? I think there's also kind of the question: Did something illegal happen, and why didn't we know about it in advance? I think personalising it is such a good steer, such a difficult thing to do. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think the Pleasance has done itself no favours by trying to erect this abstraction of mm. uh, the the values of the Pleasance Theatre, which as a, as a yeah. building or as a, an yeah. organisation, it cannot have either of those things. But Anthony Alderson could mm. have said, uh, so I have I'm Anthony Alderson, yeah. 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 To, I uh, was there. Yeah. Um, I did not know it was going to be quite like that. I regret my decision to book this guy. And uh, and if anybody has any objection to make, it's on me. He's not doing a second show. Or I was there. I did not know he was going to be doing that. Um, and uh, But uh, I feel beholden to the contract I've made with the performer and to audiences who want to see that second performance, so I'm going to let it go ahead. If there are problems, it's on me. Um, I mean, I, I, there will be contractual kind of get-out clauses, which means yes, I, as the producer, won't actually go to jail <laughs> over what happens because of, uh, of what he then does. But I think, yeah, making it sort of individual-specific, you know, there might be, you know, there's... Uh, I, I I can't I, I I heard it I just it was that 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 slur on Rishi Sunak I take personally for these reasons you know the, 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 that that kind of thing I think it needs to be made about about individual people and I think that is the way that freedom of speech conversations can be had um, at dinner parties or at work networking events in a way which doesn't actually start to uh, exacerbate the situation and push people further apart in their positions. And I think the last thing I'd say about this as well is, yeah, I think it is important to distinguish between offence and harm. Mm. Uh, the reason that we are so touchy about racial slurs is there is certainly in this country absolutely a history, a history of, of the harm, violence, yeah, and violence, taking us back to Salman Rushdie, uh, yeah. associated with using these words in order to demonise a particular group of people. Uh, and uh, so I think it's important to say that the the reason that we take censorious action when mm. we hear somebody using these words without due care and attention, without any necessary context, uh, is because we fear that harm may result. You know, comedians mm. who do rape jokes on stage 
who are encouraging the audience to laugh along with them are tacitly saying, uh, all men think like this. Yeah, and it makes yeah, uh, and and it normalizes it, and there is genuine harm which can result from that, which has nothing to do with uh, I I heard a word I don't like, and now I'm swooning and clutching my pearls. That's not for me at any rate the issue. No, I agree. Um, uh, it was nice we're at one on that one. <laughs> um, uh, uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, uh, obviously, this is uh, uh, about uh, current affairs and and politics, but often these topics do find their way into all kinds of conversations, and they are relevant as well in the workplace. So um, uh, we do work on all kinds of face to face communication um, and professional communication of all kinds. So get in touch with us if you'd like to discuss how we can help you. I'm on Alex at the hyphen spontaneous. Shop.com. I'm at Tom at the hyphen spontaneity hyphen shop.com or at Tom Selinsky on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, and do like, rate, subscribe, do all the things you want to do with podcasts with this one. Thanks for listening and goodbye. You have been listening to You Can Talk to Anyone with Alex McLaren and Tom Selinsky. The producer for the Spontaneity Shop was Tom Selinsky. You Can Talk to Anyone is distributed exclusively by Acast. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.